Welcome to Heart of Worship Church Podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Hi, I'm Miranda Wright, and this is day 34 of our 120-day Upper Room Prayer Campaign. And today we're going to pray against the spirit and doctrine of Balaam. In past podcasts, we've talked about how Jesus says in the book of Revelations that because of the washing of his blood, he has made us all kings and priests under his order, the order of Melchizedek. And the Bible also says that the function of a priest, among other things, is to teach the people how to discern between the holy and the unholy, the clean and the unclean. So today I'm going to teach you how to discern between the holy and the unholy because I have to show you a major tactic of warfare that the enemy uses against the people of God. So I'm going to have to teach you something today because in order to be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy and fight the good fight of faith, to contend for the faith as scripture commands us to do. I need you to be able to see this. So Lord, open our eyes. We've mentioned before how in the book of Revelations, Jesus gives us a list of things that the church is doing right and is doing wrong and the consequences thereof. And then at the end of that list, Jesus tells us that he stands at the door and knocks. And we have to recognize the reality of what is being said there is that he's actually standing outside the door of the church and knocking that we might let him in. But the word of God also says that he will not share his glory with another. Therefore, if there is another spirit besides the Holy Spirit or another doctrine besides the doctrine of Jesus Christ, then he will not enter into that house except but for judgment. Therefore, it is his mercy that he continues to stand outside and knock in prayerful hope that we will choose to cleanse our house, kick the enemy out, and welcome the King of Glory in. Because if we choose not to, eventually he will come in by force because the Word of God says that judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Let me tell you something, my friend, in those very passages that talk about judgment beginning at the house of God, it's preceded by a word from the Lord that he will send out an angel of the Lord to mark the heads of those who stood in alignment and agreement with his word and cried out against the abominations of the land, that he would mark them with a mark of protection so that when the time came that he did release that angel to bring judgment beginning at the house of the Lord, Those who were in alignment with his word and his will would be protected from that judgment. But all those who were not would not be and would face that judgment. Therefore, does he give us very clear instruction on what is right and what is wrong in the church? And one of the things that he tells us in the book of Revelations that is wrong with many churches is that they have those among them who carry what he calls, quote, the doctrine of Balaam. So what exactly is the doctrine of Balaam that so offends the Lord Jesus Christ that it causes those of his own house to become enemies of God? Because you see, Jesus gives us the choice. He's giving us time. He tarries because he is merciful and patient. 
not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, hoping that we might cleanse our house before he has to come in and do it himself, because the bride will be purified, the house will be cleansed, but it will be cleansed through judgment. This is why judgment begins at the house of God. So my friend, today we look at what is wrong, that we might come into agreement with what is right. We've already looked at the spirit of Jezebel. This is one of those things that was mentioned in these passages. We've looked at the spirit of Antichrist and Leviathan. But today we've got to look very deeply and very closely at the doctrine of Balaam. Because it is very prevalent and growing worse amongst the body today. And if we want a bride purified for the Lord God Almighty that the King of Glory might enter in, then we've got to address our own sin, the sin within. So what exactly is the doctrine of Balaam? that Jesus so clearly warns us of. In actuality, the doctrine of Balaam is how the enemy tricks a blessed and protected people to walk out of God's protection so that he can take them out when he otherwise could not. To understand the doctrine of Balaam in its entirety, we have to go back to the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we're told that the stories of the Old Testament were given for our example upon whom the end of the world has come. And so we have to often go back to the Old to, to have any level of comprehension of the New. And so that brings us all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 30. You see, in chapter 30, the Israelites had come out of Egypt. They had been delivered from that old taskmaster, that Pharaoh that represents the devil himself. They had been set free from the bondage and given the promise of this great new land that they would inherit if they would but obey the will and word of God, follow his instructions, he would lead them right to it. And he gave them a list of moral instructions and he said, if you do these things, you will be blessed and you will be protected. But if you do not, you will be cursed. The instructions were not weighty. They were not grievous. They were not meant to be dictatorial or controlling in, act in actuality they were the equivalent of wedding vows if you love me this is what we will commit to do for each other and more than that they were meant for protection because God in his wisdom knows what we ought do and ought not do and if they were to be obeyed then it would keep the enemy at bay and God tells them if you obey my words I will bless you protect you and prosper you in the land that I have called you to possess in other words I will bless you However, he gave them a warning. He said, if you do not walk in agreement and alignment with my words, if you mix, mingle, compromise, agree with, partake with the idols of the land or those that are in error to them, then you will be counted among them against me and will be judged with them. You will be partakers of their plagues. You will be subjectable to the attacks of the enemy. You will be overrun. In other words, you will be cursed. You see, the Bible says, if God be for you, who can be against you? But the question is, my friend, is God for you? Because the Bible also says that friendship with the world makes you the enemy of God. Therefore, if we make ourselves the enemy of God, we cannot claim the verse that says, if God be for us, who can be against us? In fact, it means that everyone can be against us, God and the enemy. We put ourselves in a very vulnerable place when we choose to cheat on God. In verse 19 of that same chapter, God says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. 
God has given away the way, the truth, and the life, the only way. And he leaves it up to us to choose or reject. Because he loves us with the love of a husband, a jealous love. And he is willing to be faithful to us if we will be but faithful to him. He gives us the choice. And as long as we walk faithfully in the covenant, the marriage covenant, being part of the family of God, then we are protected by God. He is our protector, our provider, our strong tower that the righteous run into and they are safe. But when we choose to walk out of that covenant, when we choose to cheat on God, when we choose to trust in somebody, something else, when we choose another lover or when we choose to trust ourselves and walk out on our own, we walk out of that protection. The Hebrews called it a hoopah. It was a covering represented by a tent. In fact, it was always placed over a couple as they married and it, it represented the protection of God. As long as we stand in that marriage covenant faithful to our God, we are under his hoopah. We are under his covering. We are under his protection. The Bible talks about coverings as a wife. My husband is my covering. The Bible says that because I am the weaker vessel, then he is to guard and protect me even with his life. He is my covering. But if I walk away from the marriage, if I choose another lover, if I leave him, I leave his covering. I leave his protection. And this is exactly what we see taking place here. The Israelites came into covenant with God and therefore they were under his protection. And so we jump to Numbers chapter 22 to read the story of Balaam and see how this plays out that we might understand the doctrine of Balaam that Jesus so clearly warns us about. Now, for time's sake, I'm going to have to just tell you this story. I can't give you every detail of it because it encompasses several chapters of the Old Testament. But I taught a very in-depth lesson on this several years ago in one of my Bible classes where I actually did read the entire story and we went through it verse by verse to decipher it to its fullest. And I will provide the link to the podcast of that class in the video description of this prayer podcast if you want to go deeper into the study. But for time's sake, we won't read it, but I will tell you the story. You see the Israelites walking under the protection, provision, and blessing of this hoopah, of this covenant relationship with God had walked through many lands and many battles and they had defeated many kings because that God was with them. Because if God be for you, who can be against you? No enemy could stand in the face of God's people because that God was in the midst. And so they come into the land of Moab as they march towards the promised land. And the king of this land, his name was Balak. He saw this people as far as the eye can see and he had seen and heard all the stories of how they were undefeated and they had destroyed all of these people before him, some with kingdoms much greater than his. And they began to move into his land and he becomes fearful and decides that he has got to do something about this. But because of what he's seen and heard, he knows he cannot defeat them as they are. So he decides that they need to be cursed. And if they be cursed, then they might be weakened enough that he could defeat them. So he searches out the prophet Balaam. And he sends his messengers to Balaam to offer Balaam money and riches and material gain if, if he will go and speak a curse upon this people. Because it was known in the land that Balaam had great power and that those who he blessed were blessed and those who he cursed were cursed. And upon Balak's instructions for Balaam to curse this people, the Lord intervenes and gives Balaam a staunch warning. 
not speak against his people because these people are protected. They are his. And so Balaam tells Balak, I cannot. No man can curse what God has blessed. Because you see, my friend, a curse is simply the removal of God's protection, which allows the enemy access against you. A curse is simply not residing under the hoopah or the covenant protection of God. So Balak tells Balaam that no man can curse that which God has blessed and, if, and that it is not possible for him to curse this people. But Balak, not understanding spiritual things, continues to press Balaam and offer him more and more wealth, fame, position, pomp, worldly gain that he might speak against the people of God. To which Balaam tells the messengers of Balak that if he would give me all of his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go against the word of my Lord. But instead of standing firm on the words that the Lord had spoken to Balaam, his heart began to become wantful of the rewards. And so he decides to press the Lord and see if he can get a different answer. How many times, my friend, has the Lord told you no? And you press to see if he would change his mind or if you could get it another way. Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was finances. Maybe it was a position. Maybe it was a ministry. Maybe it was a person. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was a stage. Maybe it was attention. Maybe God told you to go hide thyself and you didn't want to. Maybe God told you to go serve in the lowly in that little no-name church, but you wanted to be the mighty evangelist. And so you, you pressed the Lord for another answer. My friend, God's wisdom is perfect. It is pure. His will and his way is best. Take what he says the first time or you will regret. Because you see, Balaam pressed the Lord and the Lord told him, if they come to you, then I will give you a word for them, but do not go to them. In other words, I have not sent you. My friends, I love when evangelist Nathan Morris says that some are called, some are sent, and some just grab the mic and went. How true is that? Many go that are not sent. And I'm telling you, my friend, that if you do, you move under the spirit of Balaam. And what you speak forth will not be of the will of the Lord. It will do more damage than good and it will bring curses and death upon the people because that you do not see the full picture. But by the end of this story, you will. And I pray that we will learn to humble ourselves more fully to his will because of it. So as God had instructed, wait for them to come to you. And if they don't, then I, then I have not sent you. They did not come. But in the morning, he rose up and decided to go anyway. You see, he was becoming more and more tempted to disobey the word of the Lord and do things his way. Because in his mind, he might think, I am a man of God. I hear the Lord. I am going and I will deliver the word of the Lord. But I'm telling you, my friend, if you have not been sent, then you ought not go because it will not end well. But this angered God because he had not sent him. That he was getting closer and closer to being positioned by the enemy to be used against the people of God. My friend, every step that you take out of obedience to the will and word of God is a step closer to working against the will and word of God. So God sends an angel to kill him. Seems a little harsh, right? He hears from the Lord. He's just going to go and see this people. Maybe God will give him a word for them. He's moving under his own leading. Why would God see it so harshly? Because my friend, when you move against God's will, you move against God and you make yourself to work against God as the enemy of God. And that is not a good place to be. Don't be driven by reward. 
don't be driven by gain. In fact, it warns in the New Testament that there are those who will tell you that gain is godliness from such turn away because they are driving you towards the doctrine of Balaam. So the story continues. God sends the angel to kill him. Balaam is riding his donkey and he comes into this narrow pathway. The don and the angel of the Lord stands before him with his sword ready to kill Balaam. The donkey sees the angel, but Balaam does not. And so the donkey stops and will not go. And Balaam is trying to force the donkey to go forward so that the donkey throws herself down and actually pins his foot to the ground so that he cannot go forward crushing his foot. So Balaam becomes angry and begins to beat the donkey. At which point God allows a very unusual thing to happen. The donkey begins to speak and ask Balaam, why are you beating me? And Balaam in his madness sees nothing wrong with this and straightly answers the donkey. My friend, when you move out of the will of God and start moving under your own leading, driven by a desire for gain in any area, it will make you spiritually mad. You will lose all sense of discernment. So he tells the donkey that I'm so angry with you. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you. Stop being rebellious. And the donkey replies, have not I always served you faithfully from the first day that you got me? Do you not think that I am doing this for a reason? And it says immediately the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. Oh God, open our eyes. And as Balaam's eyes were opened to the spiritual, he saw the angel standing before him in the way. And the angel tells him, stop beating the poor donkey. She just saved your life because I was here to kill you. And had you crossed this way, I would have slew you and left her alive. At this point, Balaam realizes how serious it is. Fear of God comes upon him and he repents. And the angel tells him, come on, I'll go with you. I'll stand with you and I will tell you what to say, but say not one word more than I tell you to say. And so having the fear of the Lord and the instruction of the angel, he goes with the angel. And Balaam goes before King Balak and Balak brings him to this high place where he can see all of the people of Israel down below him. These high places were places of idol worship. They were places that the pagan kings thought would give them more power against the children of God. But my friend, if God be for you, who can be against you? And at this point, God was definitely for them. They were walking in marriage covenant, submitted to the will of God, obedient to the word of God, walking under the protection of God. There was nothing that they need to fear. And so Balaam tells Balak, I cannot curse these people. For they are under the protection of their God. They are righteous. They are in right standing. They are standing right with God. They are under the hoopah. They cannot be cursed. So he speaks forth a blessing over them instead. And of course, Balak freaks out and he's like, oh my gosh, I brought you here to curse this people and you bless them instead. My friend, when you are in right standing with God, when you are humbled and submitted to the word and will of God, God will cause what your enemies mean to curse you, to bless you. And cause what your enemies meant to harm you, to prosper you. And so Balak says, well, look, I'll take you to a higher high place. To a place where you can see more of them and you will feel sorry for me. And there will be more power because this is a place of greater sacrifice. And then you will curse this people so that I can destroy them. So he takes them up to a higher place and he blesses them again. And so then he takes him to another high place, even higher. And he tells him to do it again. And Balaam tells him, and I quote, I cannot curse this people for there is no iniquity in them and the shout of their king is among them. 
Because you see, the Bible says that sin separates God from us. Therefore, because they were not in sin, but in right standing with God, then God was able to be in the midst of them. Therefore, if God be with you, who can be against you? That's why holiness is so important. That's why in the Old Testament, we see the example of when the 120 priests were together in the temple and it says all the priests present were sanctified and they began to worship the Lord and the glory of God entered into the service so strongly that everyone in the service was slain in the spirit and it says that the priest could not stand even to minister. That's why the Bible also says that to cleanse your hands, ye sinner, and purify your hearts, ye saints. Because who can ascend unto the hill of the Lord but he who has clean hands and a pure heart that the king of glory might enter in. He will only enter in to holiness. Balaam speaks this forth very clearly and says, Because there is no iniquity in them, the shout of their king is among them. The king of glory has entered in. He is with them. And if he be with them, who can be against them? You cannot curse them. And then he speaks forth one of the clearest prophetic proclamations of the coming Christ. Balaam, this prophet, was speaking forth words before the Israelites ever even made it into the promised land. He is speaking forth a revelation of the coming Messiah, the coming Christ, Jesus Christ. He sees it all. He explains it all. He prophesies it all. And he blesses them again. At which point Balak is absolutely freaking out and saying, well, if you won't curse them, then please at least don't bless them. And then the narrative shifts and we don't hear any more about Balaam. And so we are, and so we are left wondering why was Jesus so against the doctrine of of Balaam that he would warn the New Testament church to have no part in it nor those who partake in it lest lest they make themselves his enemy. What is this about? What happened? It ends with him having a revelation of Christ and speaking a blessing over this people who are walking in covenant and purity before the Lord who have no sin or iniquity. They are righteous. They are walking in righteousness. They are under the hoopah. But then we jump ahead to chapter 25 and we see something happening. And so in chapter 25, we read, And Israel abode in Chittim, and the people began to commit whoredoms with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. And the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Pure. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. So they began to commit whoredoms and join into the feast and the services of these people. They began to eat with them. They began to hear their doctrines. They began to not speak so boldly against their gods. They are cheating on God. They are not being faithful to God. They are cheating on God. They have walked out from the covenant marriage with God. They have walked out of his protection and made themselves his enemy. You see, my friend, when they did these things, they walked out of his protection and they all began to fall ill. A plague broke out. A sickness broke out. They began to get sick. They began to die because that they had walked out of the protection of God. 
because that they had cheated on God, because that they had joined themselves to these other doctrines, that they had joined themselves to these other idols, that they had joined themselves to those who honored that which was not holy. They became unfaithful and they were susceptible to the plagues and the sicknesses of the land. You see, God had given a promise that for all those who walk in perfect will and obedience to God, they would be protected and that none of the plagues that had come upon the enemy would fall upon them. But as soon as they walked out of agreement with God by walking into agreement with the unholy and with error, they made themselves susceptible and they began to all get sick and die from a plague. In verse 6 it says, And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses, and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle. My friend, this is why it's so important to learn to discern between the holy and the unholy. Because when you come into agreement with, when you mix with, when you compromise with, when you endorse by your association that which is unholy and mix it with that which is, it removes God's protection on the people and you'll end up with blood on your hands. Not only does it bring you under a curse, but it brings all those around you because that you endorse it and they do what you do. They all became ill. They died. And those who had compromised or endorsed the idea that it would be okay to do so ended up with blood on their hands and made themselves the enemies of God. There was no protection because God was no longer with them. My friends, sin separates you from God. The Bible says that God is not unable to save, but because of your sins, you have separated yourself from him, that he will not hear even your prayers. Before Balaam said there was nothing that could be done against them because God was with them. He was in the midst of them, but because of their sin, he could no longer be with them. He wasn't with them. Therefore, they were overrun by the enemy and susceptible to the plagues of the land. Everyone who was guilty of the association became sick and began to die. But in verse 6 it says, And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses, and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up from amongst the congregation and took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into his tent and thrust both them through the man of Israel and the woman through the belly so that so the plague was stayed from the children of Israel and those that died in the plague were twenty and four thousand and then God spake unto Moses saying Phineas the son of Eleazar the son of Aaron the priest hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel while he was zealous for my sake among them that I consumed not the children of Israel in my jealousy. My friends, it is a marriage covenant and he is jealous over us with a godly jealousy. And when we begin to entertain any other lover or anyone who intends to seduce us away from the truth of God's word, from his marriage covenant, it provokes him to anger. It makes him angry at them when they do it. But when we entertain it and come into agreement to it, then he becomes angry at us also. You see, 
they came into Belpure and the people of Belpure began to invite them to come in, come in and just fellowship, come hang out with us, come eat with us. It's okay. We'll just fellowship. Well, why don't you come to our service also? Why don't we all just worship together? You worship the way you worship. We'll worship the way we worship. But all who had taken part in these mixed services had aligned themselves with all that was represented and it defiled them. In effect, they were cheating on God and angered him, which opened everyone who was partaking of it up to sickness, to death, to the curse, to judgment. So in this, we see that there were two companies of people. There was one company of people who were mixing, partaking, celebrating, and participating in this mixed service. And then there were those who were weeping and praying and crying out against the abominations that were taking place. You see, my friend, it takes us back to that story in Ezekiel about the seal of protection. It says that those who were protected by the Lord were those who were weeping between the porch and the altar and crying out against the abominations of the land. Holiness brings a protection. So what happened here? How did they go from being protected to cursed? How did they go from being this people who could not be cursed because that God was walking in the midst of them, that they, because that they were without sin, they were holy and set apart, they were faithful unto God, and God himself walked in the midst of them, to being a people cursed, falling ill and dying, because that they were participating in all of these sins and wickednesses and false doctrines and idolatries and errors of the land. What? happened here the story doesn't tell us but when we jump to numbers 33 verse 13 we get a little backstory that makes everything clear and ties all which we have heard today together from the beginning of the book all the way to revelations you see in numbers 31 13 we read a story see this was a battle that took place and the men of israel had decided to not follow the instruction of the Lord and keeping some of this sin alive that God had commanded to destroy. And so Moses took them out of the camp and scalded them. And in his scalding, we get a revelation because in verse 13, it says, And Moses and Eleazar the priest and all the princes of the congregation went forth to meet them outside the camp. And Moses was wroth with the officers of the host, with the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds, which came from the battle. And Moses said unto them, Have ye saved all the women alive? Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of pure. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Mm. And in this do we see why Jesus hates the doctrine of Balaam. Because the part of the story that we didn't get in the earlier chapters is that after the blessing, after the prophetic vision, after he had been used mightily of God, after he walked in the truth, then he was led away by the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world. And he sold out men's soul for position, for pomp, for platform, for fame, for vainglory. He went to the king and he said, I can't curse them because that their God is with them. But I know what you can do. If you can entice them to sin, if you can convince them that they won't lose their protection, they, if you can convince them that they won't lose their salvation, if they just partake of a little mixture, if you can convince them 
that they can come in and fellowship and eat with those who sacrifice to idols and walk in error and participate in the services together and then join together with the people. If you can get them to compromise and sin, then their king will depart and you can rush in and overtake them like a flood. I cannot curse them, but we can get them to curse themselves. Through the counsel of Balaam, Balaam, who had shown himself to speak the word of the Lord, that they then began to trust him, began to counsel them, to minister to them things that caused them to compromise and walk out of holiness and into unrighteousness. He made them comfortable in their sin. And for this, in Joshua 13, 32, do we see that God destroys him, kills Balaam with the sword. Let me tell you, my friend, this doctrine is destroyed by the truth of the word of God and nothing else. So let's go to Revelations 2, 11 and see exactly what it was that Jesus had to say about this. And the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges, which of course is Christ. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. So he's talking to this church and he's saying, I know where you are. And I know it's very difficult where you are that even Satan himself rises and works against the church in the location where you are. And thou holdest fast my name and has not denied my faith. Even in those days where Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. So he's saying, even when the enemy rises against you, you profess my name. You stand fast, even in trial and tribulation. Man, this sounds like a really good church. Even in the face of martyrdom, they stood for the, the name of God in faith. They believed in Jesus Christ. They professed his name and they stood on it in the face of the enemy. But it says, I have a few things against thee because thou hast them there that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrines of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. These two doctrines that he's talking about, they work hand in hand and he hates them both. The Nicolaitan doctrine, we may get into that later, but it was basically a doctrine that controlled the faith of others and said, you can't go to another church. You can't follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. You have to do what we tell you to do. You have to read what we tell you to read. You know, don't go searching the word out for yourself, but, but we may cover that at another time, but specifically the doctrine of Balaam. He says, I have something against you. This is a good church with good people. Who have done good things, but because you have those among you who believe this doctrine that Balaam taught, this doctrine that says you can sin and still be saved, this doctrine that says you can mix with the world, this doctrine that says that you can cheat on God, that you can cheat on God without provoking him to anger and jealousy. He says, because you have this thing which I hate, repent 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 he stands at the door and beats on the door and yells repent or else I will come against thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth 
He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a, st a white stone, and in that stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, save he that receiveth it. He's saying those who have the doctrine of Balaam, and even those in that church who allow them among them, you will make yourself the enemy of God, that the Lord himself will come to fight against you and not for you, because he hates this doctrine. This is strong words, but I'm telling you, my friend, because we have to understand the tactic that the enemy has used because the enemy uses this tactic in the house of God. He uses this tactic in people's lives. He uses this tactic even in government. That's why the enemy fights so hard to get us into agreement with sin because you have no authority against that which you come into agreement with and it brings you under a curse. That's why he says, come out from among them that you be not partakers of their plagues. When you see error, when you see absolute rebellion to the will and word of God. You cannot come into agreement or alignment with it. You cannot worship with it. The Bible says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove it in love, in mercy, in compassion, in desperation for their soul. Be willing to tell them the truth. Reprove it. Don't allow yourself to be perceived as endorsing it by fellowship with it and agreement with it. Reprove it. Now understand, my friend, that Jesus hates this doctrine, not because he hates the people that have been deceived by the doctrine, but because he loves them. Because he loves the bride, he still tarries and stands at the door and knocks. Because he loves the bride, he gives this clear warning. Because he loves the bride, he so desperately desires to deliver them from the error of this that they might walk into protection and provision and obedience to the will of the Father because he loves you. And that is why he hates the doctrine. He hates the teaching because it leads the righteous astray, because it takes those who have been sanctified by the covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ and causes them to walk out of right standing because he loves you. He puts the truth before you that you might receive it and be saved. Remember that the Bible says that those who perish perish because they receive not the love of the truth. He loves you enough to give you the truth. Love him back for it and receive it with thanksgiving and praise. Because he loves you, he has put this before your face today. Even Jesus had to crack the whip in the temple to bring his point, but he wept as he made the whip. He was broken. Yes, he rose up with a righteous indignation, but he was broken. He wept as he made the whip. So correction must come, but make sure that it comes from a heart of love. But in all truth, bring reproof and do not give a stamp of approval or endorsement of agreement by having relationship with it. Stand for God and God will stand for you. Stand for the world, stand for error, stand with Balaam and God will stand against you. The doctrine of Balaam caused a stumbling block to the sanctification of of God's people for gain, for fame, for platform, to make himself a name, for position, for attention, for accolades, for big crowds, for a paycheck. It comes from those who will preach that you can sin and feed your flesh and not face the judgment of God for it. 
When it happens, it's done by this spirit with intent to entice the righteous out of their righteousness so that the enemy can overtake them. Whether the person realizes it or not, they're being used by the spirit of Balaam. You see, Balak represented the devil. Balaam, whose name became synonymous with false prophets from hereafter and was often interpreted as one who causes others to stumble from the faith. My friend, I'm telling you, when you tolerate, endorse, reinforce, or partake in any way in this doctrine, you make yourself the enemy of God and he will begin to fight against you and not for you. The spirit of Balaam works through those who excuse, encourage, entice, or justify sin for a paycheck, position, platform, or praise. They stand in the very house of God and incite spiritual adultery against God to cause the people to stumble from obeying the words of God until a Phineas rises up in righteous indignation and loves God enough to strike it down with the word of truth. The Bible says that because Phineas was zealous for God, it stayed his judgment. It eased the pain in his heart. No, God does not need anyone to defend him. He did not need Phineas to defend his honor but God is jealous over us and it eased his heart that someone loved him enough to be jealous for him too and stand for him when everyone else was cheating on him and to love others enough not to allow their souls to be sold to hell for profit in second Peter 2 verse 1 and I encourage you to read the entire chapter of second Peter because the whole chapter is a description of those who move through the spirit of Balaam and gives great insight into the doctrine of Balaam but in the first three verses we read this but there were false prophets also among the people even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies even denying the Lord that brought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of because they encourage the sin, because they encourage the compromise, because they encourage the mixture with the world so much. It causes those in the house of God to begin to speak evil against the truth, the real way of God to speak evil against holiness and those who walk in it. They will call them legalistic. They will call them judgmental. They will call them fanatical. They will call them radical. When God calls them obedient, when God calls them his bride, he says, and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with frain words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not those who move through the doctrine of Balaam are assured damnation because they are selling your soul to hell for profit. They are sending people to hell with error by making them comfortable in their sin, by making them comfortable with, with justifying compromise, by telling them that all they have to do is claim the name but not obey the word. All for bigger crowds, all for a platform all for performance, all for attention, all to build their own kingdom at the expense of God's. Agreement with sin brings a curse and removes the protection of God. So again, this applies also to governments because legislating forced agreement with sinful things is a tactic 
of the Balaam spirit. And it's meant to remove God's protection so that the enemy can overtake a people or a nation. We cannot agree with sin. And my friend, silence is agreement by acquiescence. We've got to start speaking up and teaching the people how to discern between the holy and the unholy, the clean and the unclean. You see, when there is legislation to force you to speak agreement with gender issues, to speak agreement with abortion issues, to speak agreement with immoral issues, to speak agreement with any form of sin, that is a doctrine of Balaam and the Nicolaitans because it is forced. But when a church encourages you or ministers to you that you can sin and still be saved, then they are preaching the doctrine of Balaam because if you sin, you are no longer under the hoopah. Therefore, what are you saved from? You are not saved from the enemy. You've removed yourself from his protection. You're no longer in right standing. You're not saved from hell because Jesus said, not those who, who call me their Lord, but those who do the will of my father will enter the kingdom of God. You're not saved from sin because you're still committing it in an agreement with it. What are you saved from? You're not. God is looking for a Phineas who will strike the lies and the compromise down with the truth, who will stop the spiritual adultery in its tracks. Jesus said that there are those with this spirit among the church. And in that case, he will rise up and fight against it. He will literally fight against his own church if this doctrine is among it people of God he said that judgment will begin at the house of God and this is one of the reasons we're about to pray against this spirit but I need you to have an understanding of this tactic or the enemy will continue to use it against God's people and to show you very clearly what the doctrine of Balaam is we go to the book of Jude Jude was Jesus's physical brother. The book of Jude and the book of James, they were Jesus's brother. Jesus was the son of God. Mary was his earthly mother, but she did marry Joseph. And after the birth of Jesus, they did have other children. And so Jude and James were the children of Mary and Joseph being Jesus's half brothers. They spent more time with him than anybody else. Therefore, do I love their books, though they are short, they are powerful and to the point, and they are pure in doctrine because they spent their entire life with Christ. And Jude, this man who spent his entire life with the Messiah, the very brother of Jesus himself, leaves us one message, the message that we have to fight for the faith. And he saw fit that the only thing he would leave us was a description and a warning of exactly what the doctrine of Balaam is. You see, we know the results of what Balaam did, but we don't know how he did it. What did he teach that led God's people into error? What was his doctrine? Jude gives it to us. The entire book of Jude is a warning against this doctrine. In verse 3, it begins to say, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the commandment of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend, fight for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. 
For there are certain men crept in unaware who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. He's saying this is done by a very old and very evil spirit that uses men and moves them to twist the grace of God and turn it into lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is an unbridled ability to sin. Turning the grace of God into lasciviousness is literally using grace as an excuse to sin, as a justification for unchecked, unbridled sin, to say that I can sin and it is covered by grace. That is the very definition of turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. According to the Bible, it does despite to the spirit of grace, which is the Holy Spirit, because grace is not an entitlement to sin. It is the power not to sin. It is the very power of the Holy Spirit of the living God made available to us by the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. By his suffering and stripes did he purchase this gift for us with his own blood that we might receive his spirit and walk in all authority and power against the enemy because there is no temptation that God has not provided a way of escape. Grace is not an excuse to sin. Grace is the power not to. In verse 5, he says, I therefore put you in remembrance that ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. He's saying that this is Jesus's brother. They talked about this a lot. And I can say that what he's telling you here was most likely something he repeated that he heard from Jesus. Because Second Peter chapter 2 says the same thing almost word for word in many places, which tells us that it's something that they heard most likely from Jesus himself. He's saying that everything that happened in the Old Testament was given for our example. He said, you knew this already. You've always known this, that God is willing to save. But if you will not walk in faith in the words that he continues to say, you will lose that salvation. If you stop believing, you'll stop being. He said he saved the people of Israel out of Egypt because they believed what he said in Egypt but when they stopped believing him in the wilderness they perished and did not make it into promise in verse 6 he says and the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation he hath reserved in everlasting chains unto darkness under darkness unto the judgment of the great day he's saying even the angels who sinned against God were not allowed to continue in their sonship, but they lost it because of willful sin. Verse 7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them, in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Those who willfully walk in immorality cannot call themselves the children of God. Sodom and Gomorrah was given for our example that anyone who chooses to walk therein forfeits salvation and earns for themselves hell. The wages of sin is death and hell. It is a wage. It is something we have earned. Verse 8 says, Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, just despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. In other words, they despise the authority of God. They won't submit themselves to the word and will of God. They may claim his name and want to walk in his power and use, the, and use it to bring themselves prestige before men, but they will not submit themselves to the authority of God or his word. 
Verse 9, yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, does not bring against him a railing accusation, but say, the Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts. In those things they corrupt themselves. They sit in the house of God. They claim to be gods, but yet they speak brutally against the things of God of which they really have no understanding because that they do not hear from God because that they have agreed with this doctrine they have put themselves in opposition to God woe unto them for they have gone in the way of Cain and run greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perish in the gang saying of Kor they are doing it for gain for the gain of attention for the gain of vainglory for the gain of a position for the gain of a platform for the gain of an elevated pulpit for the gain of the acceptance of men for the gain of a bigger crowd for the gain of money for the gain of political acceptance they are moving in the doctrine of Balaam woe unto them that do it and woe unto those who partake of it come into agreement or fellowship with it because you endorse it by your acquiescence verse 12 says these are the spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you feeding themselves without fear no fear of the lord because if they feared the lord they would turn away from their sins and they would never preach to men anything that justified their sin they are clouds without water they're empty it's all show there's no spirit there carried about by winds trees whose fruit wither without fruit twice dead plucked up by the root these are the wolves in sheep's clothing that Jesus warned us about by the way the spirit Balaam was always associated in the Old Testament times with either a dog or a wolf type character it is the wolf in sheep's clothing pretending to be part of the body of Christ but there only to devour the sheep and lead them away that they may be devoured. That passage about the wolf in sheep's clothing continues to tell us, judge them by the fruit. If there is no fruits of the spirit, they are not his. They will be cut down and cast into the fire. Fruits of the spirit, walking in righteousness, speaking forth faith, having love for all men, the joy of the Lord, patience, long-suffering, being willing to sacrifice, submitting to the righteousness of God, and faithfully walking in it. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. My friend Jude says that they are spots in our feast of charity. That word charity is agape. It's the same word used when, the describing, when describing God himself. It is a spot in the feast of God. Because you see, the Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back for a pure and spotless bride. This is why he warns us in the book of Revelations that he will destroy them out of the church if he has to. If we will not cleanse ourselves, then he will have to send judgment to cleanse us because they are spots and he cannot come back for a spotted bride. He is coming back for a pure and spotless bride. I know this is hard teaching today, but church, I got to tell you the truth because I want you to be there when he comes. I want you to be pure and spotless. I don't want you to be found guilty at the judgment. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye saints, that the King of glory may enter in.
It is but his mercy that he tarries at the door and knocks while telling us from the beginning the things that are keeping him from entering in. And the doctrine of Balaam is one of the worst because in previous passages, he says, you did such and such wrong, repent or I will remove my candlestick. In other words, you'll lose the anointing. But in this verse, he says, I hate it. Repent, have no part in it, or I will come and fight against you. Friendship with this will make you the enemy of God. And I know it's not easy to hear, but I love you enough to tell you the truth. Because if one will hear and receive and repent, it's worth the scorning of 10,000 others. Raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Those who preach and teach and participate in this doctrine are damned for hell except they repent. It is not my opinion. It is the word of God. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which, which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. This is how sad this is those that move in this doctrine from within the church are so convinced of the error of their ways that it literally says that when Christ comes, he will fight against them. And ha and though the son of God is standing before them, he will still have to convince them that they were wrong. How prevalent and how strong is this deception? Humble yourselves today before the mighty hand of God that your soul might be saved and surrender to the will and word of God at all costs. Complainers walking after their own lust, doing what their flesh desires, their mouth speaks great swelling words, having men's persons in admonition because of advantage. They look up to people more than they look up to God. They will listen to the teachings of man more than they will sit and seek the Holy Spirit to teach them themselves. They, they look up to people with names and notoriety and big platforms more than they look up to the truth of God's word. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that he told you there should be mockers in the last times who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the Holy Spirit. But ye beloved, build yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making the difference. In other words, those who are humble and willing and broken and need our compassion, no matter who they are, be the difference. Show them what a true servant of the living God really is. It will make the difference. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh those who have believed this doctrine sometimes you got to shake them and wake them and put the fear of God in them because they have been taught that it's okay to have their garments spotted when the word of God says he's coming back only for a pure and spotless bride clothed in righteousness 
My friends, it is that serious. This is the doctrine of Balaam. And again, if you read Second Peter chapter 2, the whole chapter tells you the exact same thing. Some of it word for word. Again, calling them spots on the bride. Oh Lord, open our eyes. Jesus gave us the warnings for a reason, church. We want him to come in. We want to see the king of glory enter in. We want to come into submission to your word and to your will. We want to walk in right standing with you, God. We honor you. We worship you. And we surrender and submit ourselves to you. God, we trust in you and your word more than in the traditions of men or doctrines of demons. God, we thank you that you are so merciful that you saw fit to lay it out so plainly and so clearly. God, we will not mix with this compromise and this error, but we will with love and brokenness pray for those who have been deceived by it and be willing to reprove it because your word says that we must, no matter where it is, Lord, be it in the political or be it in the pulpit, be it in the schoolhouse or be it in the church house. God, we will speak forth the truth of your word and love and not be ashamed because you are jealous over us with a godly jealousy and it provokes you to wrath and to anger when your people are willing to be seduced and to entertain a spirit that is trying to seduce it in the same way that we would be very upset if we were if our spouses allowed themselves to be seduced and to continue to entertain the person who has tried to seduce them Lord we will not entertain it anymore but we will make a separation we will be wholly set apart unto you God we will be wholly yours in the same commitment that our spouse expect us to be wholly set apart unto them wholly theirs we will not tolerate the mixture we will not tolerate we will not endorse or reinforce the lies of the enemy by our acquiescence or accompaniment with it Lord we will take a stand we will make a separation we will reach out our hand and we will offer in all those who are willing to take it but they can't come by compromise they've got to come by commitment they've got to lay down the lies and surrender to the will of God we have got to repent before we can enter in so God of this we repent we repent of every lie of the enemy of every Balaam spirit that has spoken in our ear and said that we that we can sin and not offend the heart of God that says we cannot trade salvation for damnation when it is a lie straight from Balaam's mouth meant to lead the people away that he may overtake them because that the enemy has offered him some pay for it something that the devil put in their heart and said I will give you some attention I will give you a platform I will give you a position. I will give you a title. I will give you the notoriety of men. I will make you look like you're somebody in this world. If you will just encourage them a little to sin so that I can enter in and the king of glory will stand at the door and knock and say, do something about it. I've laid it out in my word. I've given you the ability. I've given you the opportunity and I'm waiting. But child, I will not wait forever because judgment must come and it will begin at the house of God. And it will come upon those who have allowed those with the doctrine of Balaam to continue to lead the people away and astray and back into sin to remove the righteousness of the righteous that the king of glory can no longer enter in, that they might be susceptible to the leading of every other spirit except that they cannot hear the spirit of the living God. He is not in them. They have traded light for darkness, truth for error. 
Christ for Baal? What fellowship hath Christ with Baal? But come out from among them and be ye separate, say of the Lord, that you not be partakers of her plagues, because he is willing to protect those who are under his covering in his marriage covenant. But if we choose to leave the covenant, if we choose to walk out of the relationship, if we choose to cheat on God, if we choose to serve sin, we become the servant of sin. And then we can no longer depend on the protection of a husband whom we have rejected. God, I pray for revelation. I pray for you by your own spirit to continue to confirm this word to those who you have desired to bring the revelation of it to because agreement with it brings a curse. And there are many who are sick among you, the Bible says. Because you see, the Bible says that in the taking of communion, which is a representation of the marriage covenant, he said, many or there are many who are sick among you because you take it unworthily. You see, these people, they cheated on God. They broke the marriage covenant. They were not faithful. They were not obedient and submitted unto their husband, Christ Jesus. And therefore, they were susceptible to the sicknesses and the plagues of the land. And death came upon them because that they had mingled with those who had the doctrine of Balaam. And therefore in the New Testament are we warned that if we continue to do this, if we continue in sin, if we continue to cheat on God and we take the communion, we bring upon ourselves sickness and a curse. It's the same thing because that we are committing to be the bride of Christ, but not walking in the vows thereof. My friends, the spirit of the living God is trying to bring you into the revelation of a major tactic of the enemy, both in the church and in the world. He uses it where he can, where people are blinded to it. Oh God, open our eyes. So today we stand in agreement with the word of God and we take authority against that doctrine of Balaam and that spirit of Balaam. And we say we have no agreement with you anymore. We see your lies. We see your tactic. We see what you are trying to do and you will not do it to me. But I will stand and I will speak forth the truth of God's word and I will bring loving reproof. But I will stand on what he says and I will be wholly set apart. I will be committed unto him. And it doesn't matter how many with the doctrine of Balaam want to speak ill against me against things they do not understand against the movings and leadings of the Holy Spirit of the living God but I will stand firm I will be faithful I will not submit to that which is trying to seduce me away from my husbandman but I will trust him and I will honor him and I will be the Phineas that rises up in defense of him no he does not need me to defend him but as any spouse does he loves when I am zealous and love him enough to do so because it breaks his heart that so many are willing to allow themselves to be seduced and to entertain their seducers how much does it joy his heart when one is willing to stand up and say no not me I love my king oh God let it be me and I pray that there be others that listen that are willing to bend the knee even though it's not convenient even though all the world may come against them for it even though all the Balaams may rise up and speak against them and curse them God we pray for them for revelation and for repentance that you not have to come and fight against them. But Lord, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. I will bend the knee to the Lord God Almighty and him only will I worship. God, I pray for a people that will repent and will preach repentance. God, I pray for a people who will be wholly yours and will preach holiness. 
because you are God and you are holy. And if it is not holy, it is not of God who has given us his Holy Spirit and his Holy Word. Oh, people, how easily have many been deceived away from the truth of our holy God. God, we surrender to you. We submit to you. We worship you. We love you. And we thank you for the words that you give, the things that you are saying, the way that you are laying a strong foundation for a people who will hate what you hate and will love what you love, who will purify themselves and sanctify themselves before you that you might enter in. God, I want you to enter in because if you're not in it, then there's no reason for me to be in it. There's no reason for me to waste my time because the world has done it their way and it's not worked and it's only brought more death and it's only brought more agreement with hell and it's only brought more sickness and it's only brought more sin. But I'm going to trust you that you might enter in and do what no man can because we need God in America again. And the only way you're going to come in is if we open that door, kick Balaam out, fall on our face, repent and say, Lord, come in and have your way again. We worship you, Lord. We rebuke Balaam. We take authority over him. We speak exposure over him throughout the nation, throughout the churches, throughout the governments, throughout the people, throughout our relationships. Exposure on the spirit of Balaam. I command that you expose yourself so that the people around you will see and understand and know that this is not a work of God's hand. Oh Lord, show them in the word. Raise up a people who will sit down and open their word and say, Holy Spirit, I need you to show me. Holy Spirit, I will trust you. I will surrender to you. I don't need a man. I don't need the writings of a book. I don't need all the confusion. I don't need tradition. I need God. So God, come and reveal your truth to me. The Bible says that if any will ask, he is willing to bring understanding. Jesus said that he would not leave us comfortless, but that he would send us the spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit. You see, the reason these people walk in error is because the Bible says they do not have the Holy Spirit. Because that they have returned to sin and error, they have grieved the Holy Spirit and he has the part and it has been replaced by an evil spirit, by the spirit of Balaam. God, we humble ourselves before you, before your truth and before your word. And God, I don't expect anyone to believe any man or woman. I do not expect them even to believe me, but to take it to you in prayer, to take it to the word of God, to sit there with no other influence but you, to pray it through and say, God, teach me, show me the truth. Thank you for listening to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, Be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.